Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk! Good morning, this is Peter Lewis and a warm welcome to Money Talk on Tuesday the 27th of June. Let me give you a reminder of how you can find the show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, where we're one of the most listened to financial podcasts in Hong Kong. You can also find my daily newsletter and get in touch by going to peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On Facebook, the programme is at Peter Lewis Money Talk, and on Twitter at Money Talk R3. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, China's annual meeting of the new champions, known as the World Economic Forum's Summer Davos, will kick off later today in the northeastern port city of Tianjin. It will be the first in-person meeting in three years. The event will be opened with a keynote speech from Premier Li Chang and President Xi Jinping will speak later this week. Bloomberg News reported Monday that US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen plans to visit Beijing in early July for the first high-level economic talks with her new Chinese counterpart, He Lifeng. The visit comes as the Biden administration is working on an executive order that would regulate and potentially cut off some US investments into China. The order would cover certain investments in semiconductors, artificial intelligence and quantum computing, and it's expected to be completed by the end of July. Singapore's industrial production shrank 10.8% year-on-year in May, more than market expectations, and worse than a downwardly revised 6.5% fall in April. It was the largest decline since November 2019, due mainly to a sharp decrease in outputs for electronics. German business confidence deteriorated to a seven-month low in June as companies were markedly pessimistic about the future and their assessment about the current situation worsened. A monthly survey conducted by the IFO Institute showed on Monday. The closely watched IFO business climate indicator for Germany fell for the second consecutive month to 88.5 in June, the lowest level since last December, and well below market expectations. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, Mark Toe, Managing Director of Asset Management at the Wing Fung Financial Group, and our US economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster, Barry Wood. On Wall Street's Monday, technology shares led the declines at the beginning of the final week of trading in the first half of 2023. The Nasdaq shed 1.2% to settle at 13,336 as investors took profits in technology companies that have outperformed this year. The broader S&P 500 lost half a percent to close at 4,329. The Dow dipped 13 points or under 0.1% to end at 33,715. NVIDIA, Alphabet and Meta platforms lost more than 3% each. Tesla sank 6% as Goldman Sachs downgraded the electric car maker, citing pricing headwinds. Chinese stocks were lower yesterday as investors awaited signals of fiscal stimulus from the mainland after the PBOC cut its main benchmark interest rates last week. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index extended last week's losses, falling 96 points or half a percent to a near four-week low of 18,863. And for the quarter so far, the Hang Seng is down 7.9%. The tech index fell 0.2% after losing 8.4% last week, bringing its losses for the second quarter to 10%. 
And futures markets are pointing to a rebound of 50 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Mainland Chinese stocks also fell after traders returned from a holiday last Thursday and Friday. The Shanghai Composite was down 0.7% at 3,174. And for the quarter that's about to end, its slide is 3.7%. The CSI 300 index of the largest listed stocks in Shanghai and Shenzhen has fared even worse, losing almost 10% since its January high. The market for the onshore yuan reopened after a two-day holiday last week and caught up with its offshore counterpart, sliding 0.7% in Shanghai to a seven-month low of 7.2311 renminbi. The offshore yuan was 0.3% weaker at 7.2363 renminbi. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. And it's time to welcome our Tuesday morning guests. As always, on a Tuesday morning, we find Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft. Morning, Stuart. And good morning to you, Peter. And also with us is Mark Toe, who is Managing Director of Asset Management at the Wing Fung Financial Group. Welcome, Mark. Good morning. And over in Washington, D.C., we find our economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster extraordinaire, Barry Wood. Good morning to you, Barry. <laughs> Thank you very much, Peter. Listen, I want to start in the U.S. We've been reviewing this week the first half in terms of the economy and market performance. Looking forward to the second half of the year, see what that brings. Now, Wall Street kicked off the final week of the first half of 2023 with profit-taking in the high-flying technology sector, which has been the major outperformer in the first six months of the year. Technology stocks have rebounded this year. After what was a difficult 2022, as investors bet on the promise of artificial intelligence and the tech-heavy Nasdaq has risen 28% year-to-date. That's its best first half, if it holds on to that, since 1983. And the Nasdaq 100, which consists of the mega-cap tech stocks, has fared even better, rising almost 35% year-to-date. But it has left stocks rather expensive. The Nasdaq 100 trades now at 27 times full forward earnings estimates compared to its historical average of 19.3. Barry, this has been quite an extraordinary rally in the first half of the year, hasn't it? Because it's sort of come in the face of persistent interest rate rises, more than people were expecting um, at the beginning of the year and talk from the Fed of more to come. Yeah, that's true. I think what uh, may have propelled stocks, particularly those NASDAQ stocks you mentioned, is that uh, property was not an alternative. And with interest rates higher, I think property was is the first uh, sector being impacted, certainly on mortgages. But um, also, 2022 was such a bad year. But yes, we've had a rally in tech stocks and we had a sharp decline either the second or third month and then the rally resumed. Now we've had, what, three or four straight days going down. So um, you mentioned P.E. ratios. Is tech too highly priced? I'm not sure, but uh, you're right. It's been significant. Whether the chat GPT, which was certainly the talk of the town back in January, is a factor. I suspect it is, but uh, to what extent, I'm not sure. Well, stocks like NVIDIA are up almost 200% now, aren't they, uh, I think, year to date? It's extraordinary. I mean, yes, these... and NVIDIA is the leader in terms of uh, video, and um, 
you know, for gaming as well. So, yeah, and they have this dramatic new headquarters and, uh, yeah, NVIDIA is, uh, is, is the greatest winner of all. Yeah, but I think prices are being pushed up by um, people who feel that they've been missing out on the growth of stocks. As um, and, and we're only talking about seven seven stocks really here, aren't we? Um, the big the big tech names, and, and most people missed out on some of the early movement in 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 tech uh, last year, and so. NVIDIA, for example, is a late mover in, in this group. It's a late entrant into the trillion-dollar um, market cap club. Um, but it's been pushed up by people who feel that they've missed out on the other rises, I think. And I, I think this is a self-fulfilling rise. But um, as we could probably expect, there will be fairly sharp movements in the prices of these stocks as we go forward over the next six months, sharp in, insofar as they could go up sharply, they could go down sharply because they've got so much, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're probably by most um, estimates very overpriced. But um, it's a question of whether the, 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 the managers who've been pouring money into them feel that they've done enough or whether they find another stock that they want to pour their money into. <laughs> We haven't, we haven't seen that yet. Mark, when you look at the, the U.S. from an investment perspective, are you convinced, first of all, by this rally in artificial intelligence stocks, which have really dominated most of this year, haven't they? Or, or, or do you get worried by these extreme valuations? Uh, you, you know, to a certain extent, uh, they are extreme. But um, uh, I, I can agree uh, uh, that uh, it, uh, there is an element of uh, FOMO and, and also... Um, I think um, uh, one, one of the um, one of the interesting observations is that uh, even uh, the expert uh, of the experts, like Kathy Wood, uh, missed out on some opportunities to to make uh, bigger gains, uh, and and that makes us uh, 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 very uh, vigilant on on the divergence between technical analysis on the momentum on the uh, investor investors uh, sentiment. Uh, on that kind of uh, frenzy uh, uh, movements uh, and the fundamentals, uh, that is the, uh, the ratios, uh, the, the cash flows, all the stories. So it is very important to differentiate between the two because uh, in, in the long run, I, I tend to agree that uh, some, sometimes uh, these, uh, these leaders, uh, these um, uh, hugely priced in uh, stock uh, may, may have to come down uh, anyway, ultimately. But uh, for for the moment, in the in the very short in the very short run, uh, it can have uh, it can run its course for for quite a long time before before anyone who is uh, who dare to 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 go short it. Uh, so it is very important for for fund manager uh, to stay vigilant, not to uh, uh, mix up with, uh, with uh, the long term and the short term perspectives. Barry, if if we look forward. 
Um, where does the Fed fit into all of this? Because we've had a few interest rate shocks last week, didn't we? We had the Bank of England raising rates 50 basis points. The Norwegian Central Bank did the same. The Swiss National Bank surprised with a, a rate rise. Jerome Powell was talking in his testimony last week uh, that the that the inflation, uh, the, the fight against inflation isn't over. So it seems that investors have really got to take into account that as we move into the second half, interest rates are going to continue to, to rise. Yes, there's no doubt about it. And if you look at uh, the decline in the stock market over the last uh, three or four sessions, clearly it was Jay Powell because the, uh, the venerable Stuart Allcroft is right. U.S. interest rates are going higher. And uh, Mr. Powell said it explicitly. Markets don't like that because you've already got a Fed funds rate of 5% and you've had the fastest pace of interest rate rises in in 15 years. So uh, that more is coming reveals that inflation is more persistent than some of the optimists had predicted. That said, let's not forget that we have still 50-year lows on U.S. unemployment. We still have a growing economy, probably at a 1.5 to 2.5 annual rate. And despite all those predictions of recession, it has not yet arrived and may not. And the yield curve yeah, seems to be wrong, doesn't it? It's been inverted now for almost a year. It's down to minus 100 basing points. That's very interesting indeed, Peter. That uh, inverted... In- now, I mean, isn't there that saying that um, the inverted yield curve always predicts a recession except certain times, and this may be one of those exceptions? Yeah, yeah I, I think you also have a very full employment now in the US, which is in itself... Uh, fueling a, a degree of inflation because if more people are working, they have money to spend, they'll spend it. Um, and, and people in Western economies are not very good at saving money, uh, as we've, we've, we've known for hundreds of years. Uh, whereas people in the East are far better at saving money when they have it. And I think this is this is going to be a significant uh, difference that you'll find from our part of the world from, from yours in, in the United States, Barry. Mark, there's this interesting divergence now, isn't there, in, in policy? We have the PBOC cutting interest rates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have Japan and most Asian central banks on hold um, at the moment. Um, we have the mm-hmm. European Central Bank, which is raising rates and the threat of more to come from, from the Fed. How is this divergence going to play out? Because it seems that maybe inflation is under control in Asia, but maybe not so elsewhere. Yeah, uh, and it, it is very, uh, it create great impact on, on the asset allocation. You can see that, uh, despite the so-called low, uh, valuations in, in, in Chinese or greater China sector, uh, you can see that people are less attracted to these, uh, uh, uh markets, uh, in general. Uh, the fund flows, uh, is very obvious in, in this aspect. And so, uh, it partly also explains why, um, people, Keep uh, keeps uh, keep pour, pouring in the the money to to U.S. markets, even though uh, they 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 have that kind of a expensive so-called expensive or uh, dearly uh, priced uh, uh, ratios. Uh, and 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 secondly, I tend to think that uh, it is a uh, highly contingent on the uh, geopolitical 
tensions as well as the uh, international relations. Uh, for example, the clashes between uh, uh, China and, and 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 the U.S. as well as the 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 uh, Ukraine uh, war front. I, I think all these are uh, somehow very important because. The, the less uh, uh, people are getting into uh, free trade, the less people are going to the uh, uh, globalization, the more they are going to suffer from the uh, uh, inflation, inflationary expectations. And it is going to be very sticky. And because of the stickiness, uh, the central banks has no way to go. They have to, uh, they have to raise rates, even though it may not be the best uh, tool to, to deal with it. But it is the only way they can deal with it. Mark, uh, why is uh, money not flowing into China, given that interest rates are lower and inflation is lower? I think uh, in China, um, it, it is very, I, I agree with your observation that uh, one, one of the key points is that uh, money supply increases a lot. And uh, actually, it should uh, uh, have that kind of uh, impact on, on, the, on inflation, in inflation. But uh, it does not. And uh, so it, it, it somehow uh, uh, it makes us very, very uh, uh, puzzled uh, in the first place, uh, whether it is uh, more concerned about the uh, public confidence or on the uh, future direction of the, of the whole economy. Because you can see that for the past four decades, the major uh, growth engine actually not not just come not just coming from the so-called population dividend uh, that 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 is usually the diversion uh, set by the, the the more official more official economists uh, but actually by the reform uh, by the structural reforms by by the more structural things uh, uh, from one the, the the pendulum from one side to the other side from one extreme to the extreme the yard extreme but uh, at this moment it seems that the the whole reform is going to uh, to be more stabilized, to so, so-called stabilized, uh, not as far as possible. Uh, so at this moment, uh, people, they have rational expectations. They have uh, a permanent income hypothesis. You can see that they, they don't expect they can spend so much without, without uh, uh, suffering. So they, they tend to spend less, even though they may have disposable income at, at, at the hand uh, at, at this moment. They, they are less, tend to, uh, to, to spend as much as possible. I think we, we should be taking a little bit of a look at the other side of this equation, though. Um, for the last 20 years, people who have saved money in their bank have had next to nothing. And for the first time in that 20 years, we are now seeing um, a reasonable rate of interest starting to be applied to deposit accounts. And this is something that we've been missing for a very long time. I know, I know hundreds of people who have you know, complain that they're getting nothing on their deposits, and yet they've not got the courage to go into equities markets. And and this has played out very fully in China because money market funds in China are massive. They, and, and it's not as if there's no money in, around. It's just that the money that is uh, it, it, available isn't going into securities markets. Mm -hmm. And that's because many people... China or elsewhere have very little confidence in securities markets at at this moment, and that lack of confidence arises from both the geopolitical as well as local political issues um, that that all of them are facing. Whether whether I was talking to some people in in Europe last night, and um, you know, I, I look as as Peter knows, I, I obviously 
I'm much more interested in the UK economy and what goes on there. But the European economies are all doing very badly. And we shouldn't underestimate the fact that Europe is in a very bad way in terms of um, it, its current economic conditions. Looks like stagflation, doesn't it, there? Well, they have, they have <coughs> quite high inflation. They have um, uh, some of the European markets got quite high unemployment, too. The UK doesn't, but uh, others do. And then they've got the problem of... Uh, a, a lot of migration coming in, uh, illegal migration. That they, they, and, and of course the the Ukraine Russia war is right on their doorstep, and, and the amount of money that is being spent by European governments on um, supporting Ukraine is massive. So you know you have all these things going on right now, um, but and, and so that doesn't bode for a confidence boost, uh, quite the opposite. So if, you, if you're not very confident and you see interest rates on your bank deposits now getting up towards 5%, where are you going to put your money? Probably keep it in the bank and, don't get, and, and hope you've got the right bank too because uh, you know, some of the banks are not, get, not lasting the course either. So this, 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 is, the, this is the change. Um, that we are seeing very clearly, and, and I think we we shouldn't um, necessarily um, be negative towards rising interest rates because rising interest rates are beneficial for a very large sector of the market. No, I agree with you. Uh, I agree. Actually, uh, we have been in the in the abnormal abnormal time. Uh, because of the zero interest rate, uh, and we have a very low growth rate uh, globally, and we have a very low interest rate and, and, and inflation rate. Uh, we have to be back to, to the normal times. And actually, uh, quite a lot of in interesting phenomena in the investment markets, the investor sentiment, actually stems from uh, the, 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 the lack of uh, time consistency, lack of uh, uh, the, the relation between uh, the, the, the consumption and investments linked by the interest rate uh, in the usual sense, because they, they don't have to pay for for what they for what they borrow anymore at, 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 at the past decade or so. It, it is it is just not normal. Barry, some of those geopolitical problems that Mark mentioned earlier, how much are they going to play out in the second half of this year? There's a report today on Bloomberg that Janet Yellen is going to visit China um, at the early part of July. But that's coming at the same time that the Biden administration is proposing bans on certain types of investment into China in technology, artificial intelligence and and so on. Are, Are we likely to see more of what we've seen in the first half? It would seem that way, Peter. It is a good sign that Ms. Yellen is going to go to China. That's a very positive sign, particularly since uh, if you go back, since we're looking at the first six months of the year, if you go back into May, look what happened at the Hiroshima G7 summit. These seven countries hammered Russia on Ukraine and hammered China on trade, investment, technology. And despite that, what, a month later, here's Tony Blinken goes to China. Then you had the president make a sort of ill-advised remark, to say the least, about a dictator in China. And now Janet Yellen. I think this reveals that uh, our two economies are closely linked 
It uh, is accompanying the fact that trade in 2022 between the United States and China was at record high levels, $675 billion. So, yeah, um, there are mixed signals. Your question, is this likely to continue? It would seem so. But um, the Chinese seem to be willing to take the criticism. The Americans seem willing to take the provocations, if that's the right word, and carry on because economically we're we're linked. So the best yes, we I, the best we can hope for I, is they live together for the rest of the year. Yes, I, I, I'm not so sure we should get so worked up about Joe Biden and and some of his statements because you know the, the UK was amused not very long ago, about two weeks ago, when meeting with uh, Rishi Sunak, he called him President Sunak. Um, so, you know, for, for Joe Biden to to be calling Xi Jinping a dictator, which he did, um, I don't think means anything like as much as perhaps the media have played it out to be. Um, he, he makes misstatements more or less every time he opens his mouth. And um, so I don't think we... Sorry, Barry, this is your president. But um, I don't know whether you voted for him, but he, he was better than the alternative. And that doesn't say a lot. <laughs> sorry, we're going down the wrong avenue. I, I think we better move on. We, uh, we definitely better better move on. Let, let me talk about another market that's been very much in focus, um, and that's India. I mean, Mark, is, is this a market that interests you? It's uh, the Nifty 50s at an all-time high uh, this year. So is the Bombay Sensex Index. A lot of inbound investment now going on into India. Uh, it's been talked about as a sort of a safer alternative to China. What are your thoughts? Yeah, a, a lot of people and, uh, and the, the fund managers, uh, my my peers, uh, they tend to think that why bother uh, uh, do stock picking in the in the region? Uh, why why not just put some put some money in the just send that ETF something something like that uh, mm. to to get the return? And and that is a very good lesson for even the professional investors to to be um, to be um, more alert. Uh, because uh, diversification uh, in, in a general sense, whether in terms of uh, ge- geographical location, whether in terms of the uh, industry sector, whether in, the, whether in terms of uh, uh, the, asset, uh, the asset classes, it is very important because you never really know. Uh, there is uncertainty and uncertainty is everywhere. So uh, at this moment, we can see that people are trying to shift away from the uh, more uh, risk concerned uh, areas like uh, China, like uh, the greater China story, uh, they, they of course they have to put it into somewhere uh, like India or in, in Japan. So uh, at this moment, I, I tend to think that the momentum is going to be on on this way, still keeping uh, uh, its own momentum. And, and for, for, the, for the second half, I, I still think that it's going, still going up. Mark Mobius. For, 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 for India or even for Japan. Mark Mobius would agree with you. He said the other day that India is the best market to park a million dollars right now. And he's talking about increasing the asset allocation of his portfolio from about 15% in India to 20 or 25%. I mean, that's quite a big change, isn't it? Yes, India is, a, is an intriguing market. It's been around as a stock market for longer than China. <laughs> 
but it has more restrictions than China, and, and we shouldn't underestimate the restrictions. Many of the major stocks have a restriction on foreign ownership, um, and, and uh, from time to time, uh, the, the amount of foreign ownership gets to its maximum, and then you have all sorts of frustrations from fund managers about that. Um, there are still very fierce exchange controls about taking money out of India rather than putting it in. Um, but India re does represent a, a big opportunity. It's been a big opportunity for 20 years or more um, and, and, and has not entirely delivered on that promise. That I think sounds like it, Brazil. That's what they well, say about Brazil, isn't it? It's yes. been tomorrow's country forever. That's and, why they're... Uh, they're all you part know. of the BRICS, right? So that's the same. <laughs> that's why yeah. they are at the BRICS. Um, <coughs> Look, I think one you have to say that uh, Mr. Modi <coughs> is a force for stability and success because politically, boy, is he doing a fantastic balancing act. He's got the <laughs> Americans on his side now. He's got the group of 20 leadership, a summit coming up. He hasn't alienated any of those people. He wants to identify with the global south. He wants to maintain relations with Russia, the former biggest defense partner of India, and he hasn't really alienated China. So you really have to hand it to Prime Minister Modi. How, that was yeah. a successful visit last week, wasn't it, to the U.S.? He got the full Absolutely. red carpet treatment. Uh, he's attracted the interest of lots of big U.S. tech firms like uh, Microsoft, Google, Tesla, all talking about investing in India. It's amazing. And all the time, you know, he spent most of the time in Hindi, which I found to be a surprise. When he was talking to the Congress, he mostly talked in English. But, you know, this is a guy who politically is uh, really, I don't think India has seen anything like this since Nehru. And Nehru was very different because he was really, that's when the third world really mattered. Remember that? That seems a very yeah. long time ago. Yeah. Well, we can, we can remember it, Barry. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't underestimate Modi. When he came in, when he was first elected, he was um, touted then as being both India's saviour and, and potentially um, able to change India for, for good. And um, he certainly delivered on a lot of that. Um, I think that you know, what we also need to be very well aware of is that a lot of these tech companies, <coughs> as you just mentioned, Peter, are... Uh, talking about pouring vast amounts of money into India um, and investing into India, uh, a lot of that is so that they can actually participate in the Indian market because India is not going to import so many of the goods. They want they, they want to get into the Indian market. They want to participate in it. You know, Tesla is going to be a fascinating example. They can they may be able to build cars, but where will they put their charging stations? You know, that's, that's going to be a, a, a real struggle in, in their first five years, as it were. But this is the challenge that um, is probably more exciting to many of them than China, which they've already done, they've tried, they've now sort of struggled on and, and, and they haven't got the energy to do any more Mark, well, the, the, there is this enormous amount of investment now going into India, isn't there, from, from companies like Google, uh, like Microsoft, like, uh, like <coughs> Tesla. Um, is, is this India's going to be India's sort of moment? Uh, you know, it's going to, it, it really is sort of promoting Modi's um, Made in India campaign, isn't it? 
Well, uh, 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 despite the short-term uh, money flows, uh, the the momentum, I I, I have to uh, I, ha- I have to be more. Uh, I tend to I tend to be more confident on the uh, China story actually uh, in in the long runs uh, because uh, you can see that for for the past uh, four decades, for example, uh, you you may say in, in within the region, uh, China has a, a average growth rate of about ten percent, and and for for India it is eight percent, and for Indonesia it's about six percent, and India has been a very promising, uh, but it if it failed to deliver the promise uh, 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 at, at the right time. Uh, I, I don't underestimate uh, the, the potential of India, but it is very difficult, and it, it takes a lot of luck, uh, a lot of hard work, a lot of everything to have that kind of a, a supply chain ready, uh, like uh, the, the factories, like all the uh, the infrastructure in, in China to, to be installed. Just like uh, in the past few years, uh, it, it is it is not easy uh, for India to replicate the story. But of course, uh, India of course has its own uh, strengths, like uh, English speaking population, like uh, uh, the highly intelligent uh, uh, talent, the young man. I, I think these are very very important. But it, uh, we I, I tend to be more balanced. I, I, of course, uh, you, you may say it is a home bias. I, I, I'm more. Uh, I'm more uh, uh, biased in, in in the China story, uh, China story. Uh, but overall speaking, uh, I think uh, at, at least for the very, very short term, uh, India ca- can be a can be a, a, a better better a better place to to park their money uh, for for investors at a very short term. Okay. Well, finally, let me ask you quickly about one other market, Japan. The Nikkei 225 is Asia's best performing market. It's up uh, 17% in the second quarter, year to date up 25.3%. The last time the Nikkei traded at those levels was back in July 1990. I was living in Japan uh, back then. Uh, Mark, what's this looks like a real rally this time, doesn't it? We, we've seen been disappointed so many times with the Japanese markets, but this time um, it looks like some things have fundamentally changed yeah for for the last two years i think at least some very long-term uh famous investors like one buffett uh, uh they it, it is a very uh, signal for for other uh, uh fundamental or value investors uh because uh, from a global perspective they uh, look forward to uh, seeing more uh, uh cheap uh cheaply priced uh, stocks uh, in in its fundamentals on a company level but also uh, any structural changes in the monetary policy, maybe, perhaps, uh, but uh, these are very important for global investors. I, and I think that uh, all the directions are, are pointing to, to that kind of conclusion at this moment. Yeah, I, I mean, it's very good to see Japan um, doing so well as a stock market. We haven't seen it for quite a long time, and, and so that re- really is a very positive thing. But if you're looking at it from a European or an American investor perspective, Hong Kong investor perspective, um, the the gain in the market has been uh, modified by the fall in the value of the currency. And the currency is down quite a lot over that, say, over this last um, 12 months or so. So, um, but the the fall in value of currency is actually likely to help Japanese exports so that is also likely to help uh, the economy continue to grow, and that will be positive for stocks. Uh, Japan has held a very strong currency 
uh, position for quite a long time, and now it's moving away from that. I think this is good for the economy in that respect. I yeah. suspect you're right. But look at this. You've got uh, inflation, what, at a 40-year high? 4% in Japan, which is extraordinary. Yeah. And, um, yes, stocks are recovering. And the currency, Stuart, is even worse, I think, than you suggest. I mean, they're at a, uh, what is it, 140-plus. It's 143 this morning. It's down about 9.5% year so this today. this is a very weak currency, uh, yeah. which probably is a deliberate policy as they've made a change at the Bank of Japan. But... It does seem to be attracting investment, and old Warren may be four, 92, but he's, he's made a lot of money in Japan, just as he has with other investments in the United States. Yeah, and tour, tourism will, will... We know tourism has been boosted massively um, by the fall in the currency, but by their opening up after quite a long period, and, and uh, certainly from in Hong Kong, we see vast numbers of people from Hong Kong now going on holiday to Japan. So it, it, it all bodes well for the future, frankly. Japan is the only G10 country now left with negative interest rates. Can that continue much longer this year, do you think? Well, yes, it can continue. Um, I think the, the, the governor of the Bank of Japan is actually keeping a very close eye on this, it would appear, because I think he's controlling the currency and interest rates, so that this is helping the economy move along. And I, I think we've got someone who's really doing quite a good job at last. Mark, final word to you. We've got about a, a minute or so left. Do you think um, uh, Governor Ueda can continue with his yield curve control policy beyond um, the second half of this year? <clears throat> uh, despite uh, high confidence or high expectations for, for his change, uh, I, I tend to think that they, they, they try to be more smooth in transition, to be more smooth. And uh, it is not, not quite likely for, 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 for him to uh, make radical changes. And I think a step-by-step approach, that means very, very slow uh, changes is going to be, to be seen. Okay. Well, thank you all very much. You heard there Mark Toe, who is Managing Director of Asset Management at the Wing Fung Financial Group, Stuart Allcroft, our Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant, and over in Washington, D.C., Barry Wood, our U.S. Economics Correspondent. Thank you very much for listening today. Please take a look at my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, where you'll find a lot more information in my daily newsletter about the topics we've discussed on this episode. On tomorrow's program, I'll be talking with Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and Alex Fu McMillan, a freelance writer and Asia columnist for thestreet.com. And with a view from South Korea, it's Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities in Seoul. Please join me again tomorrow. Money Talk.